0: Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler.
1: I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli.
0: And this episode is going to serve as our extravaganza for the MLB trade deadline and 2022 MLB draft. Are you guys hype for this episode? Oh, oh baby. Most am I definitely. Ever. Awesome. We are We are going to caveat this. We are recording this on July 7th. So it is a bit ahead of time. So we may say some things that are a little out of date. Might not make sense if you're listening to this in the future on the eve of the draft. Um, and then even more so for the trade deadline. But in this time capsule of an episode, um, that, that's what we're going to talk about. So let's talk draft first. Um, as it stands, as we record, the Orioles are five games under 500 in early July. Right now, it looks like it could kind of go either way on whether they want to buy or sell. They haven't really said what they want to do. There are rumors out there that Cedric Mullins is available for a very high price. More logic or more likely, we could see uh, Anthony Santander, Trey Mancini, Jorge Lopez. Um, But I guess let's kind of start at buyer seller, what role the Orioles are going to play here. Um, Jesse, I'll go to you first. You know, you can guess at what the Orioles record is going to be in three weeks if you'd like to. But as it stands, what do you view the Orioles? What position do you view the Orioles taking into this trade deadline?
1: Uh, I think definitely sellers. Okay. Any, any reason for that? Um, Yeah. I mean, I think the Orioles aren't quite at a point where we really are going to buy um, just in the sense that um, some of what the Orioles need is going to shift and evolve over time. So the Orioles, I think it wouldn't make a lot of sense to go buy somebody Uh, Of course, we're not going to go buy a rental for the remainder of the season, right? So we would be buying uh, somebody who's under contract for probably not even a year after this ends, but probably two years after this ends. And that would probably somebody under contract for two and a half years would probably require a steep price um because that's you know reasonably when the Orioles could expect to contend is probably in that third year this year one more and then you know the one after that is where the Orioles would be probably looking to contend so and what we need you know we don't know how our prospects are going to shape out so it's it'd be a little uh You know, buying before, you know, exactly what you have, what you need and what you're going to need in a year and a half down the road. So it'd be a little, I think, strange to be buying at this point. So
0: you don't go to the grocery store unless you know what you're making for dinner. Right. Exactly. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Eli, what's your take on the situation?
2: I counter with, well, go to the grocery store (laughs) when you're really hungry (laughs) and you can, well, you can go and you can get rice. Because there's always going to be a time where you need Bryce. And my equivalent (laughs) to that is there's always going to be a time where you need starting pitching, like regardless of how much you want to grow. And so on the question of buyer-seller, I go opportunist. Uh I think that um, one name that I've seen thrown around a lot is Pablo Lopez of the Marlins. Yep. Um, Controllable young arm started off really, really hot this year. Um, he's not like a 1.2 ERA guy like he was through the first month of the year, but he's a talented arm and somebody that I think the Orioles feasibly could look at. Um, We can get more into it later, but the collection of, you know, trade bait that we have on our end actually lines up beautifully with the needs of Miami. And that is corner outfield DH and a back end relief arm. Um, so, I, you know, I think that there's a hybrid role that the Orioles can try to finesse their way into here and be both buyers and sellers. Yes. Oh, sorry.
0: Go ahead, Jess.
1: I, yeah, I was just going to say this sounds like what Tampa does all the time, right? Add a little here, right. take away a little there. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I absolutely. I, I will say, uh, you know, Although I would like Pablo Lopez on the team, I am skeptical of something like that happening. But
0: Well, so let me, because, okay, I wrote an article for Camden Chat a couple weeks ago called the Orioles don't have to be contenders in order to buy at the trade deadline. Um, So I'm in Eli's side of things as well, where I think that they could, you know, step on that line of let's dump dumps a bad word. Let's trade away <laughs> an expiring contract like a Trey Mancini because it makes sense. We're not making the playoffs this year. Trey Mancini's not coming back next year, most likely. So let's trade him for what we can get. Probably not going to be a ton. Let's explore an Anthony Santander trade. Yes, he's controllable, but I think, in my opinion, Kyle Stowers can come up and be a very similar level, if not better, potentially than Anthony Santander very soon. So that's again, you're not really losing too much. And let's get some prospects for Santander. You don't have to do it, but that's what I would do. I wouldn't trade Mullins. I wouldn't trade. Somebody said, I saw an article about Austin Hayes. No, I wouldn't do any of that crazy stuff, but I think you can do some of those smaller deals, get some prospects. And at the same time, put your toe in the water on a Pablo Lopez. Or if you want to look at a guy who has <clears throat> less control, you know, you could do something like the blue Jays did with Jose Berrios last year, where they traded for him and then sign him to a massive extension uh, the Braves just did it with Matt Olson this offseason where they yep. had a, a year left and they traded for him, gave him a huge extension. Like the Orioles could do something like that. Um, so that's kind of what I have in mind, not that they have to do it, but that's what I would love to see them do is, is make a move with an eye towards the future. Pablo Lopez would be great. Um, then it becomes, the question becomes, which maybe this is a natural progression of this conversation is what would you be willing to give up to get a Pablo Lopez um, there's the prospects there. I think that in my mind, there's a few guys that are untouchables. I'm not trading Gunnar Henderson or Jordan Westberg or these guys that are on the doorstep of the major leagues, but maybe I'd consider a Colton Couser or a Connor Norby or a Heston Kerstad. I don't know. Um, Eli, maybe, I don't know if you've thought about this with the Pablo Lopez thing in particular, but are there any prospects, you know, cause to get a guy like that, you're going to be giving up prospects. You're not going to usually be giving up major league talent. Uh, alone you could give up a Santander but you're gonna have to probably supplement that um so I don't know if you have any thoughts on like off off limits prospects versus people you'd be willing to let go
2: yeah I I think that I will say I I think that Santander carries a pretty high value himself um if you know probably as you said is not enough to land somebody of Lopez's quality um and something I should say there is that Lopez has um, it was like right around three years of control remaining, if I remember right. I can look it up. Okay, yeah. Um, while I'm talking, I think it's three years and Santander has this year and one more. So definitely not uh, not equal on controllability there. And I think that's the only thing hurting Santander. Um, I think that we could feasibly do something on the order of Santander, somebody who's kind of a mid-tier with promise, um, like, I don't know, something like Joey Ortiz. Um, You know, we've got a good collection of infielders. I don't think you'd need to reach into the top 100 level, like a Kobe Mayo, Gunner, whatever, um, in order to supplement it. And so, like, kind of a, definitely, like, two top 30 prospects, you know, somebody like Ortiz and somebody a little bit lower, I think, could probably land it with Santander one of the major league pieces okay
0: so I'm looking at their baseball reference and they both are actually set as earliest free agency would be 2025 so that means they're controllable through 2024 um so that's, that's this a, season next season, so and Santander the season has after. an extra year both of them yeah exactly because I think Santander was a super two guy that's um, right yeah
2: so yeah. yeah okay um so yeah I yeah I mean that, it, I, that does change it a little bit for me I think yeah. Santander is closer to Lopez than we are giving then Tyler, Tyler.
1: Then Tyler. I, I,
2: look, I've never been like a huge Santander guy. I
0: think he's fine. I think he's fine. I just don't he, – he does nothing for me defensively. I think he looks like a disaster out there most of the time. I know he was a gold glove finalist in 2020 somehow, but I think he looks like a mess out there most of the time. And then, like, his numbers offensively are just like – okay but for like a starting right fielder every day I want more from it um so that's just my thought so I I would think like yes Santander but I think you might have to do a Kobe Mayo you might have to maybe not a
2: Cowser because he's a top 50 kind of a guy but Hmm. yeah I mean what about packaging like Santander and Jorge Lopez does that do it for you
0: oh if I'm the Marlins no way I don't think so (laughs) I I mean Pablo Lopez is like a not as a number two type starter I think
2: yeah I, I think they're using him as like he's definitely I'll check out their depth chart but I think they're using him as a three or four right now which I think you know I mean look I'm, I'm
0: talking from the Oriole fan perspective where pitching is we never have pitching so
2: right
1: you know. I, I also just want to add in the possibility of a trade like this happening could also be a three-way trade So, you know, something like this is sort of a blockbuster sort of deal. So, yeah, having a third team in there is um, not not even that improbable.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, Pablo Lopez is just like the example we're using. But I think in general, Eli and I are on the same page as far as like the type of player I'd be fine with them going to buy. Because, yeah, to Jesse's point, like, no, they're not going to go and get a one-year rental unless you can like agree to a contract on the trade or something, but I don't, that never really happens in baseball. So um, yeah, I, I, that's what I would like to see happen. Is it likely? Probably not. Um, I think something like that could be more likely to happen in the off for the Orioles, because I think right now the trade market is just, it's so fast moving and teams are trying to focus on what they can actually get done in like a weekend versus sometimes these bigger deals, like a Pablo Lopez I think would be a pretty big deal. I think that would need to take a few but days I, I, to sort out.
1: I also just don't understand, like, okay, you know, of course, like having Pablo Lopez in the rotation would be great, right? I just don't understand what the rush is to do something like this. So, like, why now rather than a year, year and a half down the road? That's That's what I get hung up on a little bit.
2: I think that right now... I mean, the the difference to me is that now you have capital like Santander, Lopez, and Mancini that, I don't know, I I don't want to say they're expendable, you know, but that you have this extra trade capital right there that really won't be servicing you in those two or three years and is is worth something. Right, so all, all of them are legitimate players.
1: Right, but in my mind, then just like trade them, like sell them, get prospects in return, and then you could use those prospects later to buy somebody. You know, um, you could. It, it just becomes then.
0: Then it, like the Orioles have an advantage in my mind right now in terms of the prospect depth that they have that other organizations do not have. So if you want Pablo mm-hmm. Lopez in in two years, cool. But now everybody else can probably bid for Pablo Lopez at a similar level as the Orioles can because you know, the Orioles aren't going to then just give them whoever they pick number one overall for Pablo Lopez. He's going to have a year left of control. They're going to be working farther down on the depth, but then other teams have a similar quality of prospect at that level. You know what I mean? That they'd be willing mm-hmm. to give up to get that player Uh versus the Orioles might say, well, we've got like 10 really good prospects. I don't know. I'm just throwing a number out there. So yeah, we'd be cool giving up two of them. Whereas another team might have only three really good prospects. Like, no, we can't give up two of these guys because then we're kind of in a tight spot Um, right so i think that's my thought is like yeah no i'm not giving up uh henderson westberg Uh, cows i probably wouldn't even want to give up but like mayo i'd probably think about norby um joey ortiz yeah i just don't know what joey ortiz's value is i know he's a little bit closer to the show with you guys knowing him personally but like he's had a rough season offensively so like is a glove first maybe glove only kind of a shortstop prospect really gonna move the needle i don't know um that's fair so, like, that's just kind of where I think is you've got to get into these guys. Plus, like, the could trade somebody, like a Norby that they got last year. They're drafting number one overall this year. Like, and their, their draft pool this year is the biggest of any team. they going to bring in a bunch of really good players this year. So, are they really losing all that much in the grand scheme of things? I don't know. I'm not – like I said, I'm not pushing for it. It doesn't have to happen. It's just I would be intrigued by it. And I think it would be it could be a net positive for the organization if they did something like that.
2: It, to me, I think that, you know, the, the whole point of the rebuild is to establish your next core. And I think that like right now with the capital that we do have as trade bait in the major leagues that we that simultaneously we know will not be a part of the next good team. I think that that is a unique position to be in like where we have a bit of a core already and then using these expiring contracts and just kind of like expendable pieces in the way of Santander because we have good outfield prospects coming up I I think that that like confluence of situations leaves you in a good spot to go and get something that can just answer one more question that you have um, and, and so that's why, like, I think this is a really good path forward, is because, the, you know, we were talking about potentially the team being about 500 next year. Uh, I think if you go get Pablo Lopez, that he, you know, he adds two or three wins. He adds, you know, a significant amount. And so I think that getting some kind of controllable arm that you know can hold down a rotation spot for the next four years it is I think we're in a unique position to be able to do that, not just because of the prospect depth, but because of our, like, available trade depth at the major league level as well.
1: Right. So just out of curiosity, are you guys basically only in favor of this happening to acquire a pitcher? Or are there other positions uh, on the diamond you would be open to? Because, of course, it makes sense, right? Well, we can assume the Orioles are going to need pitching right? Everybody needs starting pitching, right? Um, Where else on the diamond are you open to this sort of trade happening?
0: See, I think pitching is, is unique. Starting pitching is unique for the Orioles because, you know, Dan Connolly had an article last year talking about how he doesn't think there's enough pitching in the organization. And I think he's right about that. But at the same time, I don't necessarily think it's a huge issue because this feels like it was always the plan was to go get the pitching. Now you can go on free agency and do that. And there are going to be arms, but getting pitching at the top end of the market in free agency, to me always feels a little dicey. Like if you get that number one guy, if you go get Garrett Cole or you get, you get Max Scherzer, you know, their years, they were the top guy. Yeah. It might work out. It, it probably will work out because they're, they're generational talents. But then if you're coming down a rung to the guy, you're giving a hundred million dollars for five years or whatever, that is not a spot in the market that I think is like super favorable um, because it just doesn't seem to work out a lot. I think we're seeing Eduardo Rodriguez with the Tigers is kind of an interesting example of that. He's not really been particularly good this year. And he was like kind of a prized, you know, piece in free agency this year. I think I prefer for the Orioles to go get a guy that's 26 like Lopez, and you're going to have him for three years Plus, you can maybe extend him. You're getting, like, the best years of his career. And if you extend him beyond that, um, that's what you go do. Um, just because I, I that's just what I feel like the plan always was, was grow a bunch of bats. The Orioles have the, all the makings for a really good lineup, or we're going to need to go buy some pitching somehow. And I just like – I prefer to do that via the trade market than free agency.
1: So you're not for the Orioles buying a position player really at this point
0: via the trade market that in this manner we're talking about no
1: right okay that's what i mean yeah Yeah.
2: yeah. and and i agree with that yeah i i am in favor of this for starting pitching and starting pitching only Mm -hmm. and like controllable starting pitching Mm -hmm. yeah
0: um
2: yeah i think that i think
0: that's all i wanted to say on that so I don't know. It's, it might not happen. I'm not saying it has to, I think eventually this type of a move is going to happen though. I don't know if it happens at the deadline, but I think eventually we're going to see the Orioles traded, you know, these three interesting prospects we've all fallen in love with for an interesting pitching prospect. Um, so talking about the players that the Orioles have to trade away though. Um, I think we're all kind of in agreement that Mancini is very likely to go. So I don't know if we really need to touch on that. Um, But the other guys that are kind of all up in the air right now, people have talked about Odor and Lyles. I don't know that I see them moving either. If you guys have different opinions, feel free. But people have talked about Mullins um, and people have talked about Jorge Lopez. So those are two guys that are not pending free agents, but people have talked about it. Jesse, do you have any thoughts on either one of them going and if they do kind of what you would need to get in return to feel okay about that.
1: Um, right. So for Mullins, <laughs> well, if someone's going to take Mullins from us, they're going to be, I'd be giving us, you know, almost their, you know, everything in their organization. Right. <laughs> wow, I okay. mean, I mean, I'm joking, obviously, <laughs> but like, you know, I mean, right. I'm joking, like, but M- I'm
2: totally not. Right.
1: M- mullins would just have to come with an overwhelming unbelievable offer right, right. like yeah multi- like probably more than i don't know maybe two top 100 prospects right like i i mean i don't yeah with how much he how you know much uh control the organization has for him um that's probably like what would be required right or like you know, a center fielder in return. He's also like very good or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think like Mullins is like going to be, of course, very difficult to move because, you know, he is at such a key important position, right? He definitely can be here for the next good Orioles team, right? Like he's young enough where, you know, he'll be in the middle of his prime probably when the Orioles are hoping to be good. Right. Um and he just does so many things so well, right? He's a clear leadoff hitter. You know, he's your starting center fielder, and the manager doesn't have to think about either of those things, right? You know, we talk about up the middle defense. You know, he is good with that, right? So, right, you look at shortstop, catcher, center field, right? And he um, is holding down the center field position. So, Um, I I don't see Mullins getting traded. I don't think it really would make sense for any party um, for him to be dealt. Um, So I definitely don't see him going. Jorge Lopez, I, of course, could see going, right? Um, I mean, he's an elite, you know, I mean, so far this year, he's been an elite closer. Um, uh, So and right now his trade value is high. I don't know exactly, you know, i don't know what the return would be it probably would not involve a top 100 prospect i would be shocked if it did it definitely won't almost but um you know like so i don't know exactly what the return for him would look like but i could de- you know and it it also there might be a little bit of a, uh, some sort of uh you know, other teams or the Orioles valuing him a little bit more than other teams will. Right. Just because um, you know, this is a guy who, you know, seems to have really found his stride. I mean, he looks amazing coming out of the bullpen. Right. But I think there might be enough red flags just given his history that teams are not willing to pay the price that the Orioles would probably want and require. Um With that said, I don't think it is, uh, you know, impossible for a trade to happen, not by any stretch, just because he is so good right now. And, you know, of course, teams always need bullpen help. And, you know, maybe a team might get desperate and they might say, hey, look, you know, I think we are paying a little too much or we are paying more than what we think his value is. But we're willing to do that because we're trying to go win the World Series. Right. Right. So um, I definitely think I can see Lopez really. I mean, most of the bullpen I could see being dealt other than maybe Felix Bautista, who um, outside of him, I think most of the bullpen is is, you know, available. Um, So uh, including Jorge Lopez is probably, um, you know, the quote unquote, You know the biggest piece there. um, Yeah, they've talked about Dylan Tate too. I've heard Dylan Tate's name. And right, and that's exactly who I was thinking of next. Right, was Dylan Tate. Right, so um, you know, let alone any of the middle relievers could you know get dealt for anything. Um, But yeah, so um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's basically. I mean, if you want to look a little deeper into the roster, you know, you could see an outside shot of. Chirinos, as you said, you could see an outside shot of Odor being dealt, but um, yeah, mainly the bulk of the value is going to come from the Orioles trading these bullpen pieces that they've accumulated. And um, yeah, that they will definitely be the focus for the deadline,
0: which is, I think that's like something I've talked I don't know if I've said it on the show, but I feel like I've had conversations with you, Jesse, before about how I feel like bullpen arms are typically overvalued on the trade market. And like, if a team could become sort of find some sort of secret formula to churn out sort of these late inning arms, that's like the secret to success. Um That, yeah, I, I totally agree that if the Orioles think like, yeah, Dylan Tate is good. And so is Jorge Lopez. We can, we can turn these guys out again. We can bring up new arms and do the same thing with them. Let's do it. Um, but at the same time, all of those arms have tons of years of control left. So like they shouldn't trade them for peanuts you know what i mean because it just doesn't make any sense but if they can get pieces they're really excited about um i'm i'm all for that because as we saw with paul fry you can go from good to just atrocious and in a matter of months so yeah i i feel you there
1: i i will say you know i think with tate right like i i don't I don't think he's as volatile. I mean, definitely not as volatile as uh, fry, of course, but I, I think Tate, you know, I'm very confident in Tate and his ability to pitch well, you know, moving forward. Um, so he's one of the bullpen, bullpen arms that, you know, I would not be pressed to trade because I think he's not going to just disappear and crumble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know you're a take guy. You have always always have. That's what I I was gonna say. (laughs) Yeah. I mean I I am. And you know, I think my confidence in him is is you know showing up this year, you know, like he's pitching great. So
0: the best part of the uh uh Zach Britton trade, because I think everybody else is gone. So definitely. Yeah. Um Eli, I don't know if you have any thoughts on who we would trade and who you wouldn't want to go or any of that stuff that Jesse just talked about.
2: Yeah, I I think I mean, I won't reiterate everything. I I think the only interesting person worth making a point about is Mullins. Um, You know, I think the return would need to be huge for the Orioles because, um, I don't know, because he has been so phenomenal. He's such a great story. Obviously, everyone loves him. Um, And he's a wildly productive player, especially over the last month or so. But I, I think that the you know, the rise of Austin Hayes definitely makes it more of a chance um, or definitely makes the possibility of a Mullins trade higher than it was at the start of this year. Um, I, You know, I still don't think it will happen. I don't want it to happen. I think that having, you know, these two stellar players holding down two-thirds of your outfield for years to come is something you, you, you know, you look back to Adam Jones and Nick Marcakis. And it it was such a wildly successful portion of the core of those good Orioles teams. So I definitely think that we are in a situation where, you know, those two guys, we look ahead and we see that being a part of our team for years to come. And I think they're very happy with that. But I think that, um, yeah, I think that the chance of Mullins being traded was raised just because we now know that we have a second everyday center fielder that will also be wildly productive. Um, and so if somebody wows us with an offer, it could happen.
1: Do you think Mullins is more likely to go than Hayes? I mean, both. Yes. granted, I think both are very improbable. Yeah. But I'm,
2: I think I think I, Mullins is.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think That's, he's more
2: likely than Hayes.
0: I think Mullins has a skill set that doesn't age quite as well as as Hayes does. Um, because I think Mullins... Mullins has been fine offensively this year. Not nearly as good as last year. He's not really a leadoff hitter. with His profile, as he has right now, is not a leadoff hitter type of offensive profile. Um, and in, in the field, he does a nice job because he has speed, but he's got no arm. He never has had an arm. Uh, the speed will go, whereas Hayes is like, got the power. Hayes is not, like, the best fielder, but he's a better hitter, I think, overall than Mullins is. So, yeah, if I was going to trade one of them, it would be Mullins before Hayes, but that's just my thought. Mm. But I think a lot of it comes down to what the Orioles think they probably have in Couser because he's playing mostly in center field still. If they think he's a center fielder long-term and they think he's going to get up here next year. I mean, then I think you almost have to think about a Mullins trade. Um, But yeah.
1: I see what you're saying. I, I actually still think Hayes would be more likely to be dealt, but. More likely than Mullins, but yeah, why? Um, I mean, I think for one, uh, I mean, Mullins is playing center field every day right now. Um, so, um, I think it's based on that. I think it's based on uh, right now, Austin Hayes's trade value is as high as it's ever been. Right, so if I'm looking at you know, uh, trade value at this moment, um. You know, Hayes is playing the best of his career. You know, he's never performed this well. So um, if I'm looking at that, uh, I would say Hayes. Um, Yeah, I mean, those are the two big reasons. I also think, um, yeah, I mean, he's a corner outfielder right now, and I think it's just a little easier to move. And, yeah, he can play center, but he hasn't for us. So I think that also factor. Right. So I think that factors into the calculation as well. So.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think that because Hayes has been playing corner outfield when, I mean, because we have seen him in center and we know he's capable of playing there,
1: mm.
2: I, I think that that's not as much trade value as you could get out, uh, if he was playing in center field every day. Mm-hmm. So I, because of that, I think that, you know, Mullins is an established uh established center fielder and i think that does uh i don't know i think that has an impact
0: yeah i mean i look i don't think really the orals need to trade either one of them right right now because i i'd love to see uh kerstad and kauser keep developing and then we can kind of have a tough conversation maybe over this over the winter. Um but yeah to trade either one of them I think their values are similar right now. Maybe Mullins is a little more valuable because he is a center fielder at the moment, but you'd have to get a ton back for either one of them. And yeah. I'd be, mm-hmm. I'd be very disappointed if they didn't get a haul for either one, because they have so much team control still too. like three years. Right. Like both of them could be really important parts of a good, really good Orioles team. So um, absolutely, I don't want to see them traded, but if they are, it needs to be Epic
2: yeah and i'll reiterate i double dipped on this conversation just because it's the interesting one not because i think yeah. either one will be traded yeah
1: right and uh, yeah i mean if you have two pieces that we can be pretty confident will be part of the next good orioles team right. right if you're going to give that up for prospects or you know you have to be very very confident in those prospects or like right you're getting you know a uh, the starting pitcher you know, yeah, with I, that or something, right? Yeah, Pablo Lopez or something, right? Right.
2: The same thing I said with Lopez. Like, I think we're turning the corner to where it's about answering questions at this point and not about just like finding a bunch of potential answers, if that makes sense. You, you know, like the early stage of the rebuild was just acquiring talent re- pretty much regardless of where they were. And you have yeah. a bunch of people and now it is, okay, we have these pieces in place we, you know, can start to see where the holes are going to be in this future team. And those are what we need to answer at this time. So
0: yeah, this is the hard part. This is we're getting into the difficult decisions um, on who to keep and who not to. um, And we'll see. Um, Related to that, I think Carlos Correa was doing an interview and he mentioned the Orioles. He said the Orioles <laughs> look really good right now, uh, <laughs> no. that they're building things the right way. And, um, and he said he, in two,
2: three years, everyone's going to be talking about the Orioles.
0: And he can opt out of his contract this off Let's <laughs> um, that. get that as, train going again. Look, I love Jorge Mateo, but uh, I think I would take Carlos Correa. <laughs> yeah, be um, pretty cool. All right, let's switch to MLB draft stuff to wrap up this show. Um, Orioles draft, the draft is coming in a couple of weeks here as we record. As we are releasing this, it'll probably be in about a day or two. The Orioles, as you may have heard, have the number one overall pick in the draft, as well as the top overall um, signing bonus pool. It's not clear what the Orioles are going to do with that number one overall pick. A bunch of stuff has been said. However, all of it has been very transparent with the reporters and, and writers saying that we do not actually know what the Orioles are going to be doing. They've been very hush-hush. It sounds like it's going to be two or three people that know what's going on with those two or three people being Mike Elias, Sigmy Dell, and maybe Eve uh, Rosenbaum, who's the new like assistant GM. And That's going to be about it until you hear Rob Manfred announce the pick on uh, July 17th. But the latest there is MLB Pipeline did do a mock draft. Jim Callis, who is largely respected as like the best at this in the business. And he does have the Orioles taking Drew Jones, the outfielder from Georgia, a Georgia high school, the son of Andrew Jones with the number one overall pick. Jones is largely viewed as the top talent in the draft. However, it's not um, entirely clear and agreed upon that that is the case. But Eli um, what do you think about that, first of all? Drew Jones, number one overall, kind of going with best player available. Uh, is that what the Orioles should do here?
2: So last time we had the number one pick, we went with best available. And as we have talked about ad nauseum, Adley Rushman is working out pretty well. Yes. Um, that said there is definitely more risk involved. Drew Jones is a high school player. Um so that, yeah, I, I can't claim to, you know, know all too much, but I would have I would of course be happy with taking what everyone says is the best talent in the draft.
0: Yeah, and it would kind of go, I mean, going best pal- player available wouldn't necessarily go against, but the Ordas have done the underslot last couple or a couple of times. They've gone college hitter early in the draft. Um, so Jesse, what do you think about the Ordas potentially switching up and, and moving away from the college hitter to take a player like Drew Jones, who is talented, but as Eli said, with any high school player, it is going to be riskier.
1: Right. Um, I, of course, I'm hoping they draft Drew Jones. You know, just being the Orioles, I could, you know, kind of as we approach this, right, I kind of have this feeling the Orioles are not going to do that. Um, and, you know, I think the big thing is that in my mind, like, I think uh, Elias is really focused on like value, right, and stuff like that. So I think he's not as concerned with, I think he's trying to, in his mind, maximize, right, like, value. So if he can convince himself that, well, if I take under slot, you know, a little bit with the first pick, you know, we'll save money, and then I'll be able to draft this, you know, uh, this, Uh, third rounder, you know, in the fifth round, right, you know, and pay him a little bit more money, right. So I feel like it's that kind of calculations that Elias is going through (laughs) in his head, you know, with his team, of course. And yeah, I could see them if they think that, you know, somebody else in the draft is going to be a cheaper option, and they're going to save money. Um, you know, draft draft pool money, then I could definitely see them talking themselves out of drafting Jones, um, even though I, I think that's what I'm hoping they do.
0: Yeah. I mean, so the other, the other details in this mock draft are that basically this, the assumption is the Orioles have, have focused in on three players. It's Jones, it's infielder Jackson holiday, who's the uh, son of Matt holiday, who's uh, goes to an Oklahoma high school. And then infielder Tamar Johnson, another high schooler who we've talked about previously. Um, the the buzz is that Johnson would take the biggest discount. So then it becomes balancing, you know, what how big of the discount makes it worth it. Because then the Orioles pick again at 33. And in this mock draft, uh, it has the Orioles taking... Justin Campbell, right-handed pitcher from Oklahoma State, uh, who the who Pipeline has ranked as the number 36 overall player. This has the Orioles taking him at 33. Uh, to me, that doesn't really sound like there's going to be much of a discount there. It's kind of a slot pick. And that's with them taking Jones, number one, who likely is going to not take much of a discount, if any, there. However, a player that's been mentioned a few times as potentially slipping to the Orioles at number 33 is Dan, uh, Dylan Lesko a right-handed pitcher from a Georgia high school who Pipeline has rated as the 14th overall player. Um, But theoretically, if the Orioles saved $2 million at number one overall, they could potentially give that to Lesko plus slot value um, at 33. So I don't know. It's just a lot of words I just said right there to kind of give you an understanding, like what the, the math that Jesse was kind of just talking about is going on in the Orioles head I don't know enough about Lesko. I don't know if any of you guys have any thoughts on Lesko, but it seems to be like, if the Orioles can get Johnson, they would try to aim for Lesko at 33. Um, And I don't know, maybe that is better than Jones and a college pitcher at number 33. I I don't know.
2: Yeah. Um, I I mean, yeah, the, the thing like, I guess, you know, to us, we can't speak all too well to individual players. So I think the thing that's more worth saying is that, I mean, the Orioles have had success in the past. You know, we drafted Carter Baumler and Kobe Mayo in the fourth and fifth rounds of that shortened 2020 draft. And those two players have both come out pretty successful. And We were able to do both of those add over slot deals because we took the discount in the first round. Um, Right. And and Terramar Johnson has... You know, people have said the best hit tool in the draft. He does seem, by all accounts, to be no slouch whatsoever. And so, yeah, if you save a million dollars, like that is a totally defensible strategy. Um, and it sounds like Jackson Holiday is just kind of the middle ground between them. Uh, everybody says that Holiday will go within the first probably three picks or so. Uh, they say he is also wildly talented. And you would have less savings, but you might have a bit more of a sure prospect in him. Um, The one knock on Johnson is that he's probably, I mean, he plays second base right now. That's what he's listed as, as a prospect. He's almost definitely not going to be a shortstop, though. And there's a lot of talk that Jackson Holliday can hold it down there. So
0: position isn't. Yeah, position's an interesting point, I think, because some people have talked about Drew Jones plays outfield. The Orioles yeah. seem to have a, a lot of outfielders. Yeah. They just drafted Kowser last year, Kerstad the year before that, like does, does position matter?
2: I, I think that it doesn't. Okay. Sorry, Jeff, just, just real quick. To me, I, I think we're in a like the Orioles are in a position where if we are taking a high schooler with this first pick, which I mean, by all accounts, a right prep bat is probably the way it'll go. Um, if we end up with a high schooler here, you know, the the core that we're always talking about on the warehouse pod, you know, that core, the next good team, all those catchphrases, those people are already in the system, or they're already in a system somewhere, you know, if we're taking a high schooler, we're expecting it's going to be four or five years until that happens, right, Hunter Henderson was in the 2019 draft, right, Uh, yeah, it's 2020, I think it was 2020, Um, I think it was 2019. I'll look. I'm panicking. I think it was 2019. I think that's right. (laughs) So, you know, here we are in 2022 and he's probably going to make it up next year in 2023. So, you know, it's about three and some change and he's a super fast riser. He'll be a young player in the MLB. So, you know, where we are is if we are taking a prep bet with this first pick, you're not going to see them for three, four years. And that is if they are a wildly successful prospect and don't really hit any road bumps along the way. So yeah. I, I don't concern myself so much with like drafting for a specific position, especially with this younger,
1: uh, w- with a younger pick. With high schoolers. Right. Yeah.
0: I mean, what I will say though, is when you're picking one, one, you're dealing with a little bit of a different level player than even a Gunnar Henderson, who was a 2019 pick 42nd overall. I think even then they kind of picked him with the, under, with the thought, like, it's a little raw, but we're going to work with it because he's got the tools and we're going to give him a little more money and we're going to get him in here and figure stuff out. Like, when you're, when you're at 1-1, you're dealing with, to give an Orioles example, a Machado-level type of player where yeah. Jesse's got <laughs> – Sorry,
1: sorry, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> but, okay. Go ahead.
0: Where he got drafted in 2010, third overall. He debuted in 2012 as a 19-year-old um sure and that's when were like we're ready to go he's our best option at third base even though he's playing shortstop in Bowie right now get him here so i think you could see something similar with a termar johnson you're like yeah he's playing second with Bowie right now but we have 85 wins in late august and we need to push for everything we've got um bring him up here and we'll dh him we'll do whatever to get him some at bat so I don't know. I think you go best player available. And if the Orioles think that is Drew Jones, then take Drew Jones. Um, I don't care about position too much. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know anything about the players to, to what Eli said. Like, I don't know individual players enough to say, but if the Orioles think Drew Jones is the best, take Drew Jones.
1: Yeah. My thing. And my thing just on the, the value and the calculation is, you know, I mean, if you think that, you know, you know, this guy could be a perennial all-star or even a potentially future Hall of Famer or whatever. It's just like, that's a lot to sacrifice and to, you know, to not go get an Adley or a Manny Machado in the name of, you know, balancing a little bit of money here or there, or to, you know, to me in the end, all that stuff is pretty irrelevant, you know, relative to getting, you know, it and, an amazing player. So. Um, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, I will say for, for to Johnson's credit, Michael Elias has gone under slot before one, one, when he took Carlos Correa, Well, he was part of that decision to take Carlos Correa, that was under slot that brought Byron Buxton was like the big prospect there. They saved $2 million with Carlos Correa and Buxton's great, but Correa is the better player. So it works out sometimes um so yeah that is, is our oh yeah sorry go then they both
2: ended up on the twins anyways
0: that's true super <laughs> team <laughs> um so yeah that is our draft uh preview all um, right well hold on hold on oh, so yeah.
2: who do we each think is the um, first pick now that we've talked about uh, all the you know theory behind it
0: i i say they're going to take jackson holiday i don't know why it's just he's the one that they've talked about the least and why wouldn't they go do that? Just,
1: I guess Johnson.
2: Okay.
1: I guess that's kind of how I'm thinking.
2: Yeah, I'm also Team Jackson Holiday. Wow. Okay. I think, uh, so
1: nobody's picking Drew Jones? <laughs> no. Oh, my
2: God. <laughs> and for a little confidence, um, I don't think that anyone on the verge – I just listened to their episode a little while ago, too – I don't think that like out of you're listening to other podcasts, dude. Believe it or not, (laughs) (laughs) no, but they had a Vivek on, and I think three of them picked Jackson Holiday and one picked Terma Johnson. So yeah, at least we are in line with them, and I consider them smarter than us. Oh yeah, they're
0: way way smarter than us. (laughs) That's not even a question. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. This Drew Jones, there's been a lot of like up and down about like feedback on what he is as a player. And I, it just sounds to me, it ends up sounding like a little too raw for what the Orioles tend to go for. He's toolsy versus refined. And I think the Orioles tend to go refined.
2: Yeah. Uh, Another thing I will say is I heard a report. I don't remember the source. I was trying to dig deep for it. I do not remember the source, but there were reports that, um, Jones was seeking at least seven and a half mil, I think the like slot value of the first ov- overall pick is above eight. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: but Drew Jones was seeking somewhere around seven and a half, and they thought that Holiday was going to be more around seven. So kind of moderate savings. You know, you're not going to be stashing $5 million in your pocket or anything like that. But um, yeah, Holiday definitely does seem to be the cheaper of the two options. And then Termar Johnson, as Tyler mentioned earlier, would be the cheapest of the three. Yeah,
0: the slot value for the number one overall pick is 8.8 million, a little more than 8.8 million. Um, and then the slot value of that 33rd overall is 2.3 million. Um, so if you take 2 million away from eight, move at to two, you know, that makes four point something, which is like a, a 13th overall slot value. So yeah. that's where you kind of get the math. Like we can get the one, one, which is really the number three. And then we can get at 33, we can get the 14. And is that worth more than one and a 33 yeah you know for sure oh my so we'll see so (laughs) team Jackson holiday here and then Jesse's with Tamar Johnson which I like Tamar
2: Johnson the more I read about him
0: the more I was really actually very excited but that just makes me think the Orioles aren't gonna do it
2: so Uh, yeah I would say he's actually in terms of the realm of most likely I go holiday Johnson and then Jones I I think I think that
0: yeah I think I agree with that
2: so no love for Brooks Lee? No. No?
0: Okay. I don't see it happening. And, and again, this is based on me reading scouting reports from people who right, actually right. know what they're talking about. So um, uh, definitely go listen to The Verge, guys, for an Oriole-specific slant. Um, and then The Pipeline has their own podcast, which which has Jim Callis and um, what's his name? Mayo. Uh, who
2: Jonathan really, Mayo. Jonathan Mayo are really good. Yeah. So um, Yeah. I guess I should also mention, of all the – like college players that are being talked about in higher discussions brooks lee is the name i brought up he's a shortstop at cal poly also has a very good hit tool there are some questions as to whether he stays at short but if the orioles wanted to get a discount with the one one pick a college player is obviously a way to do that too and that was the only reason i brought him up
0: yeah and, and pipeline has him as the number three player off the board they have him fifth in their rankings but third going third to the rangers so like Gotcha. I think he was more in the com. it sounds like he was more in the conversation a little while ago and that's just, yeah, just yeah, changed definitely. so so yeah guys I think that was good hopefully informative um and yeah we're uh, we're kind of just talking from the fan perspective of hopefully the Orioles do a great job um I've liked Elias's work in the draft so far with the Orioles and hopefully that
2: continues yeah um I, I want to yeah. say one quick thing absolutely in look in prepping like for the trade deadline portion of this I was just kind of scouting like positional needs for other teams. And what kept coming up, there are three teams. And we talked about Miami and Pablo Lopez, but San Diego is like has a pretty weak DH slot. They need corner outfield help and they need bullpen help. And the San Francisco Giants are in the exact same spot. Hmm. So of Miami, San Diego, and San Francisco, I think the Orioles have at least one trade with one of them. Yeah, and in San Diego,
0: they could negotiate something to get Ryan Flaherty back in the deal as a, man, as a coach,
2: make him manager. That'd be amazing. No, uh, I do think that we, um, I don't know, San Diego has, well, they've kind of stripped their farm system. Oh, yeah. They traditionally have a good farm system, but I don't know. They got like Ryan Weathers down there who they used in the bullpen last year, um, and he was a starting pitcher prospect. San Francisco has totally built their entire rotation through free agency. So I guess there's not much there.
0: Yeah. I think I saw somebody banding about the idea of like some Padres deal where the Orioles got uh, that their number one player, Robert Hassel, the third back, but that's another outfielder. So I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. We'll see. I think, I think there are going to be movers at the deadline. I don't know if they'll go by, but I it feels like the deal, the deadline for Santander to go um, just with Stowers waiting in the wings. So that's like the the trade I'm expecting the most is Santander and Mancini. So yeah, boys. All right, cool. Well, um, that's it for our July episodes. We'll be back in early August with um, a trade deadline recap. The trade deadline this year reminder is August 2nd, not July 31st as it traditionally is. So that's a little bit different, but we'll be back early August with a trade deadline recap, as well as uh, any other... Orioles news. Maybe they're in the playoff hunt. Who knows? Oh, baby. We'll see. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Oh yeah. Let me, let me tell you to follow the podcast. Jesus. Please. Uh, follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like at the warehouse pod, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also head to the warehouse pod. and subscribe to us. That way we'll get sent to your inbox rather than to, um, uh, a podcast app. And you can also email the show if you'd like, thewarehousepod at gmail.com. And uh, we'll we'll take a look and respond or read it on the show if you'd like. Um, But yeah, that is about it. Um, Thank you all so much for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, Until next time, this has been the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. Thank you so much.